Thanks everyone for being back out tonight. It's good to be together again. And thank you, Joseph, for that lengthy reading. Uh, it will help us, I think, as we get into our lesson tonight. Uh, I want to continue uh, a lesson that uh, is connected with what we talked about last Sunday night about the topic of inherited sin or total hereditary depravity. This one is very closely connected to that. You know, if we're born sinful and babies are born sinful and wicked, they need to be saved because babies can and do die. And so we don't want to think about our baby dying lost. And so people have begun baptizing infants. Tonight I want to spend some time looking at this idea of infant baptism and ask if it's valid. Do we need to be baptizing infants today? Now, I don't believe that anyone in the audience uh, tonight is necessarily confused on this subject, but it is helpful for us to understand what the Bible teaches. It's helpful as we examine concepts that may not be in aligned with the scriptures. It's helpful to examine those and compare them to the scriptures to know what is true, but also to remind ourselves on the true facts of the Bible. And so by studying this topic, I think it'll help us to understand baptism better and understand what the scriptures teach. And so what about infant baptism tonight? Yeah, I want to tell you, if babies are born sinful, then it would be important that we do this, I think. We've talked about the fact that they're not. We'll look at that here again as review in just a minute. So infant baptism. I believe infant baptism is invalid. That's a misprint there. I'm sorry. Infant baptism is invalid. Uh, because there's no authority for baptism. There's no authority for baptism. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's no command to baptize infants. There's no example of infants being baptized. And there's no statement in the Bible that would lead us to conclude without a shadow of a doubt that there were infants being baptized. There's no statement in the Bible that leads us to the unavoidable conclusion that infants were being baptized. There's no example, there's no command, there's no statement that leads us to believe that infants were being baptized in the New Testament, and this is important. Because this is not a theoretical discussion. We're talking about people's souls. And when we talk about our souls, we want to make sure that we're absolutely correct with God. And since there are no commands to baptize infants, there's no examples to baptize infants, there's no statement that leads us to conclude that babies are being baptized, then we need to avoid that. If we are going to baptize infants, if we're supposed to baptize infants, we would need God to tell us how to do this. We need God to tell us when we do this and how we do this. We can't get, just guess and assume that God will be okay with it and come up with a, a practice that God hasn't said anything about. We can't do that when we're talking about people's souls. We've got to have authority for all that we do. You know, there are a lot of considerations that would need to be taken into account if we're going to baptize babies, and the scriptures simply don't tell us anything about this. There are no questions to the answers we would have about infant baptism. So if we're going to baptize infants, we're going to have to make up the rules. In other, words, in other words, we're going to have to act without authority. And this is a violation of Colossians 3, verse 17. Infant baptism is invalid because there's no authority to baptize infants. Furthermore, infant baptism is invalid because the prerequisites for baptism do not exist. The prerequisites for baptism do not exist. For example, 
We know from the scriptures that teaching must precede baptism. There's a, a, a pattern and a, a sequence that the scriptures lay out for baptism. And first of all, we notice that teaching must occur before baptism. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Some of your versions may say, Teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Notice that teaching, teaching and making disciples occurs before baptism. Mark 16 says it as well. Mark 16, beginning verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. you got to go into, into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, it says there in Mark 16, before you're baptized. Teaching has to precede baptism. And teaching cannot precede baptism for infants. Infants are incapable of being taught the gospel. You can't teach an infant. You can't do what it says to do prior to baptism. What Jesus said, you do it occur prior to baptism. You can't do that. Children, inf I'm sorry, infants cannot understand. They cannot be taught. Belief must precede baptism as well. Mark 16, verse 16 again says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. You see, belief is preceding baptism. You've got to believe before you can be baptized. Acts 2, verse 38. Acts 2, verse 38. Peter said, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission says you will receive the gift of the Holy, Ghost, the Holy Spirit. You can't be taught what you need to know before baptism. And we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repentance must occur before baptism. We need to repent and be baptized. Infants can't repent. There's two problems with that when we're talking about infants. First of all, they don't have any sins to repent of. And secondly, they wouldn't understand repentance if they did have sins to be forgiven. Infants can't repent. Confession must precede baptism as well. In the passage that Joseph read for us in Acts chapter 8, verse 36. In Acts chapter 8, verse 36, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Peter said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, we learn from the Ethiopian eunuch several of the prerequisites we've already talked about. Peter taught him before he understood that he needed to be baptized. He taught him. The eunuch understood and believed Jesus. We understand that from his confession. And he was able to confess his faith. He says here, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. All of those things an infant is incapable of doing. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Infants cannot do the things that are required prior to baptism for baptism to be valid, and therefore infant baptism is invalid. Furthermore, infant baptism is invalid because the baptism for infants can't be done in the correct manner. First of all, Infant baptism is not baptism like we read about it in the scriptures. In the scriptures, the word baptism is from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse or submerge. 
And infants today are not baptized the way that people were baptized in the New Testament, by immersion or submersion. There's reasons why that obviously is not happening. You can't do that very safely with a baby. And so babies are born by, are baptized by sprinkling. Sprinkling is not mentioned in the New Testament. It is not the mode of baptism that we read about in the New Testament. It is an invention. It is a modification. It is a change of the instruction that God gave us to be immersed or to be plunged or to be submerged. Some would say when we talk about the fact that baptism has been changed from, uh, to, from immersion to sprinkling, they would say, well, it doesn't matter. The mode doesn't matter. You can do it any way that you want. Is that true? Are we to conclude that God doesn't care when he said to do something one way, that you can just change it and do something else? If it's okay to change from submerging someone in water to sprinkling water on them, if that's okay, can we change it to something else? Could we say in order to be saved, you need to blow bubbles on somebody? Or you need to uh, throw flower petals at them and they'll be saved. Could we do that? Why not? If it's okay to change it from dipping in water or submerging in water, why not change it to something else like that? It does matter, doesn't it? And we're talking about people's souls here. We're not at liberty to make up the rules or change. We have to understand what God said. But that's not the only thing about baptism that can't be done in the correct manner. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, we understand that when we're baptized, we need to call on the name of the Lord. Acts 22, verse 16. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What does it mean, calling on the name of the Lord? It means calling on the authority of Jesus, submitting to his instructions. That's how I call on the name of the Lord, by doing what he said to do. When we're baptized, we need to understand what Jesus said to do in order to be saved from our sins, to believe and be baptized. And then when I submit to baptism, I'm calling on the name of the Lord. But an infant can't do that, can it? The infant can't call on the name of the Lord because the infant has no idea of what's going on, no knowledge of what's going on. The infant is just being subjected to this without calling on the name of the Lord, or relying on the authority of the Lord Jesus. We can't do it in the same manner for infants as we can on others. Furthermore, baptism can't be done as a result of a good conscience. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says, There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a result of us knowing what God wants us to do and us doing it so we can have a clear conscience before him. Infants can't do that because infants aren't aware of what God expects from them. They're not aware of what's going on. Infants can't be baptized as an answer of a good conscience. And furthermore, infants can't walk, rise to walk in newness of life. Part of our baptism is a putting to death of the old man, right? And rising to walk in newness of life, as Romans 6, verse 3 and 4 says. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When we are baptized... We put to death the old man, and we make a decision to change and live a new life that follows Christ. 
An infant doesn't do that when they're baptized. An infant has no knowledge of what needs to change in their life and what Jesus expects of them. They do not rise to walk in newness of life. Yet Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that when we're baptized, we must rise to walk in newness of life. Infant baptism can't be done in the correct manner, and therefore it's invalid. I want to tell you also that infant baptism is invalid because we have no example of any infant being baptized in the New Testament. If I'm going to be baptized as an infant, we may need to make sure that infants are, are correctly are to be baptized according to the New Testament. We need some example of that happening in the New Testament, and there is no example of that. And then we see from the scriptures, what we learned last week is that infants do not need to be baptized. There's no need for infants to be baptized. Baptism washes away our sins, as Acts chapter 22, verse 16 says. And infants simply do not have any sins to wash away. And the scriptures are clear on that, as we looked at in our lesson last week. Deuteronomy 1, verses, verse 39, that we looked at last week, talked about infants who don't know right or wrong. They don't know good or evil. Deuteronomy 1, verse 39, Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there, to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. The infants had no knowledge of good or evil. It is interesting, as we did last week in our lesson, to go back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, before Adam and Eve sinned, they did not have knowledge of good and evil. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Those who believe in inherited sin will tell us that when they ate of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, that corruptness, that fallen state, has been transferred to all of their descendants from here on out. Yet in Deuteronomy, that wasn't the example of the understanding, was it? Infants did not know good and evil. We do not inherit the, the sins of Adam. We do not inherit that depravity or that deprived nature. Deuteronomy 1, verse 39 tells us that. Genesis chapter 8, verse 21 tells us that we go astray in our youth. Not in infancy, but in our youth. Genesis 8, verse 21, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma after the flood. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor again will I destroy every living thing as I have done. Men are evil from their youth. When they know what is right, they know what God expects them to do, and they don't do it. When they fail to submit to what God said to do, that's when we become evil and sinful. That's when we have a problem we need to take care of. But infants aren't born with that problem. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 19 and 20, Ezekiel 18, verses 19 and 20. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them. He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. We looked at this passage as well. It says very clearly, I don't inherit sins from my forefathers. I'm responsible for what I do. We also looked last week at the definition of sin. Sin is transgression. Sin is something I do, not something that can be handed to me or I could inherit. Infants aren't born sinful. 
Deuteronomy 24, verse 16 says it as well. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. I'm responsible for myself and no one else. Infants don't have sins that they need to have forgiven. They do not need to be baptized. Infant baptism is invalid. And I'll change that slide before we put it up on the internet. It is invalid because there's no authority for infant baptism. The prerequisites for infant baptism for baptism do not exist when we're talking about infant baptism. Baptism can't be done in the correct manner on infants. There are no examples of infants being baptized, and we infants simply do not need to be baptized. Before we conclude tonight, though, I'd like to look at some arguments that are made in defense of infant baptism, because there are many, many, I believe, well-intentioned people who are baptizing infants today and will try to defend that practice, and we need to look at how those arguments are made so we can answer them and provide some clarity on what the Bible teaches on this subject. The first argument that is made in defense of infant baptism is that the promise of the blessings in baptism are to our children. So the promises that we see in, in, about baptism and what baptism would bring is for our children. That's found in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. See here, there are blessings in baptism, and those blessings are promised to us, to our children, and to all who are far off. And so the blessings of baptism are for children, they say, and so we should baptize infants. There are a lot of problems with that idea. The first of those is there are some things that are promised to our children that they don't have yet. It may be something that you're going to give your child when he gets older. Maybe it's a, a gun. Maybe it's an heirloom. That, you know, this is your grandfather's shotgun or something. And you've promised that to your son. When you turn 18, this shotgun is yours. Well, it's a promise to your child, but he doesn't have it yet. There may be an inheritance. You know, when I'm gone, son, you can have my old jalopy truck. You know, that's yours. Yippee, right? That's not your child's yet. It's something that will be your child's in the future. Let's stay in the context, though, here. And let's look at what is being told here about baptism and the promise. And let's look at the context because it will help us to understand this. The promise of remission of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. But notice what is contingent upon receiving that. Verse 21 of Acts 2. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, there's a contingency there, a condition on obtaining that salvation. What is it? You've got to call on the name of the Lord. We talked about that. What does that mean? It means submitting to the authority of Christ, doing what Christ said, calling on the name of the Lord. Those who do that will be saved. Those who do that will receive the promise. It is not for the infant. Stay in the context again. Verse 39. Verse 39 says, 
The promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. Who? As many as the Lord our God will call. How does God call? How does he call us? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14 says, To which he called you by our gospel. We're called by the gospel. Infants can't be called by the gospel because infants can't understand the gospel. The promise is for those who are called by the gospel, not for infants. And finally, look at verse 41. Look at those who did receive the promise. What was it? What was it about them? Look at verse 41. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. Those who were called by the gospel or received the word, those are the ones who were baptized. Infants can't gladly receive the word. Infants are not subject to baptism, aren't appropriate candidates for baptism. And so the idea of the promise of the blessings being to our children simply is invalid, is not a good defense for baptism. Another argument in defense of infant baptism is that households were baptized in the New Testament. Therefore, we must conclude that infants were baptized. And we do read about numerous examples in the Bible where entire households were baptized. The argument would be made then, if households were baptized, then that must mean that infants were baptized along with them. There are some problems with that. One of the examples of household baptism was in Acts chapter 11, uh, 10 with Cornelius. As Peter is retelling that account in Acts chapter 11, notice what he says. In Acts chapter 11, verse 14, Cornelius was told that Peter will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Cornelius' household was going to hear words from Peter that would cause them to be saved. Did that mean that there were infants in Cornelius' household that were baptized? No, it doesn't, because look at verse 46. In Acts chapter 10, verse 46, as Peter is preaching, for they heard, or Peter, after, as Peter's preaching, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Cornelius and his household spoke with tongues and magnified God. Now, there are some folks today who would claim that an infant could speak in tongues because Speaking in tongues to them is nothing more than gibberish, and so an infant might be able to get some of that out. But that is not speaking in tongues in the New Testament, is it? Speaking in tongues in the New Testament was speaking another language that was intelligible. Cornelius and his household spoke in this language that was intelligible. And they magnified God. Those who were baptized were able to speak in tongues, and they were able to magnify God. Infants cannot magnify God. Infants weren't part of Cornelius' household that was baptized. Furthermore, we see also that Cornelius' household repented. In Acts chapter 11, verse 17, If therefore God gave them the same gifts, a gift as he gave us when we were baptized, uh, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Cornelius' household repented. Infants can't repent. There were no infants in Cornelius' household that were baptized. Lydia, 
is another example of household baptism. In Acts chapter 16, verse 15, speaking of Lydia, And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Lydia and her household were baptized. Does that mean that infants were baptized in the New Testament? No, it doesn't, does it? Because there are not infants in every household. It would be pure supposition to conclude that there were infants baptized in Lydia's household because it is not a given that every household has infants. In fact, many households don't have infants. There are many households represented here tonight that don't have infants. Infants are not in every household. And just because Lydia and her household were uh, baptized doesn't mean that infants were baptized. As we go on there in Philippi in chapter 16, the Philippian jailer and his household were baptized in Acts chapter 16, verse 33. Now he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. All of the Philippian jailer's household was baptized. Therefore, there must have been infants that were baptized along with the Philippian jailer is the argument. Well, the context tells us that was not the case. The context is very clear it was not the case because notice, he and all his family were baptized. And notice what, what was said, also said about them, that the Philippian jailer, having believed in God with all his household, the whole household believed in God. The whole household had faith. There weren't infants in the Philippian jailer's household. All of the people in the Philippian jailer's household could believe in God. Another argument that's made in defense of infant baptism is that baptism is circumcision, and they circumcised babies in the Old Testament. Therefore, we ought to be baptizing babies in the, in the New Testament. Baptism is a circumcision. We know in the Old Testament they baptized babies when they were eight days old. I'm sorry, circumcised babies when they were eight days old. Therefore, we ought to be baptizing babies today. They go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 to make this argument. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses. It's important to note that this is figurative language, isn't it? Figurative language connecting that type of circumcision to the anti-type of baptism today. It's figurative language. And you have to be careful about taking figurative language too far. You can't take figurative language too far. If so, if this is a direct parallel and everything is equal, we would have to baptize infants when they were eight days old. And we would only baptize male infants. If it's an exact parallel, it's not an exact parallel. And this verse and this passage speaks about the person who is baptized, who does receive that circumcision today. It is someone who has faith. We are baptized with him, buried with him in baptism in which you were raised through faith. The person who's baptized in Colossians has faith. 
And this person was dead in trespasses and sins. This person was dead in their trespasses. We've already noticed that babies aren't dead in their trespasses. They haven't sinned. And these people needed forgiveness. They were forgiven of all their trespasses. Babies don't need to be forgiven. This passage does not prove that we need to be baptizing infants today. It simply is not a valid argument. Another argument that is made is that baptizing infants will give them the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will help them to become believers in the future. That we as parents, when our baby is born, we're concerned that they will grow up to be followers of Christ. And so what we want to do is the argument is we want to baptize that baby because they'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the the Holy Spirit will help them to one day grow to be believers and followers of Christ. They go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38 for this. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to help you somehow. We don't know how, but somehow the Holy Spirit's going to help you want to be a believer and a follower of Christ someday. Simply is not true. That's not what the gift of the Holy Spirit here is. The Holy Spirit doesn't work like that on unbelievers to somehow you can do something to them and then they'll somehow be receptive to the gospel. If that's the case, why not baptize unbelieving adults? If the Holy Spirit somehow comes on you, if somebody sprinkles water on you and that helps you to want to be believe and follow Christ, why not do it on an unbelieving adult? They can be crying while you take them up to the altar where they get baptized or water sprinkling. They could be crying. They could be resisting. But if you could somehow sprinkle the water on their head, then the Holy Ghost would come on them somehow and cause them to want to be believers and followers of Christ. doesn't work, does it? If it doesn't work for an adult, it doesn't work for an infant. It simply is a misuse of this passage, and that is not the gift that Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is speaking about. Finally tonight, some will argue that God made a covenant with the people of Israel and that covenant included infants. And therefore, since God was including infants in the covenant in the Old Testament, he will include infants in baptism today. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 34, one beginning, tells us this is not the case. The covenant is different today than it was in the Old Testament. Yes, God was making covenant with covenants with people who were infants in the Old Testament. He's not doing that today. In Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning of verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds I will, and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God made a covenant with the children of Israel. And that covenant included their infants being circumcised on the eighth day, to enter into that covenant relationship. But even in the Old Testament times, God was foretelling of a new covenant that he would make 
He would make a new covenant with people in the New Testament era, in the Christian age, a new covenant, and that covenant is different than the Old Testament covenant. It is specifically different because now he's going to put his law in their minds and write it on their hearts. How does he do that? Through the gospel? He doesn't miraculously just pour it into their head. He does it through the gospel. You have to be able to hear it and comprehend it. He's going to put that in their minds and write it on their hearts. He'll be their God. And notice this. They shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. In the Old Testament, when you were eight days old and you had no clue what was going on, you could be circumcised and enter into that covenant. Be God's covenant people. And when you got of age, guess what someone would have to do? They'd have to tell you, know the Lord. You need to know about God. You're in this relationship with God. You need to find out about him. You need to understand him. Not in the new covenant. In the new covenant, you know the Lord before you enter that covenant, don't you? Everyone who has had God's law written on their heart and then on their minds, who've learned the gospel and have accepted it, they know and understand the Lord. And so we don't have to teach people today, know the Lord, who are in the kingdom. We already know that. God is not wanting us to baptize infants today. If we were baptizing infants today, it would be the same pattern that was in the Old Testament. You'd enter that covenant relationship. When you got of age, you'd have to be taught, know the Lord. Well, in fact, that's what we do in denominations that baptize infants, isn't it? We have to have a confirmation. Because the child was a Christian when they were a baby and they didn't have any clue what was going on. They didn't know the Lord. They didn't know anything. They had some water sprinkled on their head. And when they get old enough to understand, then we have a confirmation ceremony where they have to go through a period of classes to know the Lord. And then their faith is confirmed, which we read nothing about in the Bible. It is against the covenant that God said he was going to make with his people. The fact that there was a covenant in the Old Testament that included infants does not prove that there's a covenant today in the New Testament that includes infants. The scriptures are clear about that. Infant baptism simply is not something that is supported from the scriptures. There's no need for it. Infants can't be baptized like the bat we read about in the New Testament. It's important that we have Bible authority for all that we do, and I hope the lesson tonight has been helpful to remind us on simple facts about baptism. There's no authority for infant baptism. But there is authority for those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, those who know that they've committed sin, those who want to repent of that sin and confess their faith in Christ to be baptized. Have you been baptized tonight? If not, there's no better time than right now. Or if you've become a Christian and you're not living as you should, can we help you make that right? If we can, will you let us know while we stand and sing?